This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is In Reverence episode number 18. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. For those that don't know, In Reverence is a subset series of podcasts Under the Stairs because I can never have enough of them. I can never have enough subset series. It's what keeps me young. It's what keeps me active and to be honest with you and Frank, it is what keeps this show going. If I was to do the same episode over and over and over again, I may just quit. And no one wants that. Hopefully no one wants that. Please tell me you don't want that. In Reverence is a subset where I track the movies that shaped my love of horror. So kind of not like the usual shows where we do like reviews and stuff. It's more the experience of when I first saw the movie um, and kind of its lasting impact that it's had specifically on the way I look at the genre or the way I appreciate films within the subgenre that the movie comes from. So, yeah, we are, believe it or not, 18 movies into this, and I have chosen one which, I mean, has been covered a few times superficially uh, by myself. Uh, It's had a proper in-depth review by The Baz way, way back in the day, when The Baz was rocking and a-rolling, carrying through tons of reviews on loads of different things. He did a little episode on Clive Barker's filmography is probably the best way to put it, covering the three movies that the great author, artist, sculptor, the list goes on, the movies that he had directed. This was the middle one, and one that suffered from severe butchering by studios, but on this episode we're going to be talking about Nightbreed, specifically what I think of Nightbreed. We'll touch a little bit on that director's cut. We'll probably discuss what my views are on the infamous Midian cut of the movie, or the Cabal cut, or whatever we're calling it now. It's like Cabal cut, and then recently there was like, oh no, it's a Midian Cabal cut, whatever the fuck. We'll cover some of that anyway, but specifically we're going to talk about my love of Clyde Barker, really, and how that impacted my viewing of Nightbreed way, way back in the day. This was a repeat rental for myself. Back in the days when you would go to a store and um, hand over a card and the empty video case and a little person would give you it and you get it to take home for a couple of days way, way back in the days of rentals. So yeah, we're going to be doing that on this episode. Now we are kicking off a brand new week of podcasts under the stairs and as always, plenty for you to listen to. To be honest, this is a four episode week. So kicking it off today with In Reverence, then swinging in on Wednesday, bonus episode looking at The Turning, the horror movie that lasted all of a week in the UK in cinemas. Isn't that great? Just in case you want to go and check it, you can't now because it's been 
pulled, well, it was pulled from my local cinema anyway. I don't know about the resties out there. One week it got. One week. So we'll be doing that on Wednesday. On Thursday, we will be doing Movie Club, the announcement for what our next Hammer Horror Film title is. Now, I know you're excited about this one because I'm excited about it. We put out one just last month and it went down a treat. And I'm going to keep the good times rolling as we do our second of four planned episodes looking at Hammer Horror Productions. So yeah, movie number two announced on Thursday. You have slightly less time to get your review in because February is a shorter month, but that one will be getting dropped Thursday. Then on Sunday, your last episode of the week will drop. On Sunday, we will be doing a little bit of Intruder as part of the 88 Films Slasher Classic Collection. Nice and easy. That's all. That's what you're getting this week. Unless you're also subscribed to that Teapots Collective feed, the sister feed, the network feed that runs alongside the show. If you are, you already have access to tons of great podcast content out there. But a brand new episode of Chronicle will be dropping this Friday, the second instalment of this first chapter of season three. We're looking at British folk horror and the movie we will be covering is The Witchfinder General. So that is your second movie that'll be coming out of this brand new season of Chronicle. But there's only one way to check out that work and that is subscribe to the Tea Putts Collective feed. It's available in all the usual places. Right, enough of this nonsense and shameless plugging right at the start of this episode. It's time to get into it. So you're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for Nightbreed when we return. We're discussing it in Reverend Stylee right after this. You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension of not only film and sound, but mind. A journey into an auditory movie review adventure that must be experienced to be believed. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Doomsday Clock. You can extract the Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock podcast by either searching for WYCH on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Which versus the Doomsday Clock is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. So prepare yourself. The podcast ice is gonna break! Who's buried in Midian? Ain't nothing but dead folk. Somewhere. <laughs> Hidden from sight, closer than you might think, is a place that's not on any map. Midian. Something's breathing there. It looks a lot like hell. But they call it home. There goes the neighborhood. They're not pretty. They're not neighborly. You'll come back now, you hear? They're not even human. But this time, they're the good guys. From the imagination of Clive Barker comes Nightbreed. You can't go down there! They have only one enemy. A beast called 
to destroy the Nightbreed. Sounds like we're going head to head with the devil himself. And only one chance. A man <laughs> called Boone. It's time to fight! Chance that we, we got, got their arm. So am I. Out of your deepest fears and your darkest fantasies, Clive Barker brings you a startling new breed of adventure. I won't let you down. Nightbreed. At last, the night has a hero. Outstanding. And welcome back. So you have just heard the trailer for the movie we'll be covering on episode number 18 of In Reverence. We're looking at Nightbreed from 1990. This is based on the novel by Clive Barker called Cabal. Screenplay was adapted by Clive Barker and directed by, wait for it, Clive Barker. The movie itself has a great cast. We've got Craig Sheffer, Annie Bobby, David Cronenberg, yeah, the director, uh, Charles Heed, Hugh Quarcy, Hugh Ross, Doug Bradley, Catherine Chevalier, Malcolm Smith, Bob Sessions, Oliver Parker, Deborah Wesson, Nicholas Vince, Simon Bamford, other folks, of course, are in the movie. The synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb as a troubled young man is drawn to a mythical place called Midian where a variety of friendly monsters are hiding from humanity. Meanwhile, a sadistic serial killer is looking for a patsy. I hate that synopsis so fucking much. But at least they got friendly monsters in there, which eh, makes a change from how the studio wanted you to think about it. That's right, goddamn studios. So, yeah, before we talk about when I saw the movie for the first time, it's probably worthwhile just taking a bit of time and talking about Clive Barker. When I was growing up, way back in the day, ladies and gentlemen, no, when I was growing up, and kind of early, early teens, you're talking about 11, maybe 12... Kinda, maybe 11, 12, maybe 10, 11, possibly. Um, my mother had a large bag of Stephen King books, which a friend at her work had given her, kind of gifted her this bag of Stephen King books. My mum is a fairly voracious reader, and I think it's where I kind of got my love of books from, to be honest. And... Uh, curiosity was piqued and I started going through the Stephen King books that she had and there was a mix of kind of to be honest content I probably shouldn't have been reading at the time but you could see by about 11 years old I had already read The Shining um, I'd already kind of worked my way through Pet Cemetery. I'd done Carrie by then as well and there was, you know, there was plenty of books in the bag for sure that I could have went through. And it's what was interesting about Stephen King is that he really got me into horror and literature. So I, I really started getting interested in how my imagination could twist and contort things. By then, though, I had already seen. So we were talking about maybe 13. 
by this point I'd already seen Hellraiser and I'd already seen Nightbreed and I hadn't quite equated the fact that Clive Barker this guy who'd made these movies was the same guy Clive Barker who had written these books so when I'm turning 14 15 years old for example I have at that point already read Cabal which was a book that I loved got it as a birthday present you know if you like this you'll like this it's for young adults um, and I found this kind of affinity for Clive Barker that I was drawn closer to than Stephen King now I still love Stephen King and I still love his work and I still love that early stuff as well but I always felt that Clive Barker hit me just at the right age just when you know you're hormones are starting to kick into full gear and here's this guy writing about all this kind of perverted kinky shit um, as well as horror so ticking two boxes in the, the Duncan McLeish interest fucking survey and I really started getting into Barker's stuff and tracking it down through the library and even at high school wanting to write you know, when you reach a certain and this might be different in the States, I don't know how they do things in the, you know, in the States, I don't even know how they do them in the UK now, but when you were setting your standard grades um, in the UK for my age group, you would have to pick a book and write about it, and you'd have to pick an interesting topic and, and then write about this interesting topic based on your book and come up with your workings and your findings, etc, etc. And I wanted to do Clive Barker so badly and my teachers wouldn't let me do it. I wanted to do it in the Hellbound Heart to begin with. What I ended up doing it on was iRobot by Isaac Asimov because they thought that might be better. And to be honest, I liked Asimov so it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge stretch for me. I also grew up loving science fiction. But I'd wanted to do Clive Barker. They just didn't want me to cover any of his stuff. And I always gave him that reputation in my head that, you know, Barker was the 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 novelist the teachers didn't want you reading, so this is amazing. And like I say, by then going back and reading Cabal year well, a couple of years after seeing Nightbreed, I found a whole new love for Clive Barker, and to be honest, a whole new confusion about the movie that I saw, because what was interesting about the book is that the monsters really aren't the evil in the book. Yes, they kill, and yes, they've done horrible things to end up in Midian, but to be honest, it's they themselves that are being persecuted, and as a kind of fringe outsider myself at school, um, having interests which weren't the norm, um, being kind of reserved and not very talkative, which is kind of interesting now when you consider how much podcasting I do. Uh, I didn't really speak much at school unless I had something to say to someone specifically. I kind of kept myself to myself. So I kind of, you know, Clyde Barker spoke to me and through this book, through Cabal, spoke to me resolutely for sure. This idea of kind of relating to these outsiders and the way they were persecuted kind of stuck with me. And I could never tie it up with my experience of the film. Now, I've got stressed, like, when I saw Nightbreed for the first time, I loved it, and I watched it many, many times on VHS. But it just felt 
much more like your standard movie. You know, this is a standard Hollywood movie. Even before I knew what those terms meant, that's just what it was. It played out not necessarily against the grain. And through time, advent of the internet for sure, you start to find out more information that Barker's novel itself was what he wanted to adapt to the screen and the studio being the way they were thought that the message conveyed to an audience that monsters were good guys, so to speak, question mark, was bad and the monster should be portrayed as evil as well as the serial killer. And as a result, there was this messy cut done to the movie and eventually got released, underperformed AF to say the least, and what you got was the the rumour that Barker had all this material, which was a different version of it, and then rumours and innuendo kind of swung around for ages, ages and ages and ages, until there was announcements that this cabal cut, this full three plus hour cut of Nightbreed was doing the rounds, and would it ever make its way to some sort of new form release DVD, Blu-ray, etc, etc. And eventually what came out was a director's cut. So of the footage, the best footage that could be transferred were incorporated into the movie, overseen by Clyde Barker and both Scream Factory, who originally put out, and now Arrow Video in the UK have both put out those versions. And they're a different movie to be sure they've got a different ending there's far more David Cronenberg which we're going to address when we talk about the movie a bit more but still that wasn't enough still that wasn't enough the the rumoured cabal cut and now the Midian I'm sure it's Midian cut I've heard about as well and I'm just like this is all getting far too confusing are now circulating again you can spend a mini fortune trying to get a copy of this or if you want to sail the seas so to speak you can find them and What is interesting from my point of view, and I've said this many times before, is does Nightbreed have the enduring legacy that it does in horror fandom if all the stories involving alternative cuts and production troubles don't exist? Or is this just another one of those kind of should have been 80s movies that turned up early, early 90s that didn't necessarily set the world on fire and didn't really do anything remarkable. And I kind of lean towards that argument. Whilst I think myself that Nightbreed is a fucking great movie and I love it with all my heart, I understand the criticisms for it. I understand it's also not a perfect movie. I also believe that Barker's original intentions wouldn't have been a perfect movie either, to be honest. I mean, Hellraiser is an incredible movie, it's not a perfect movie. And I think in a lot of respects what has served it well is the studio interference because it gave people this constant interest, these stories circulating. Even now, I'm still hearing about alternative cuts that are going around some, what, 30 years after the movie came out? It's its 30th anniversary this year. So what is interesting from my point of view, from my perspective, is taking a look at it nowadays and saying, you know, what is it about the movie that has this legacy? Is it all ultimately the stuff that happened in the background, the troubles, etc.? Or does the movie actually have legs? Does it really stand on its own two feet and stand up? And what was interesting was hearing Baz talk about it. For the most part, Baz really enjoyed it, but 
He didn't love it. He wasn't like glued to it and holding it on a nostalgic pedestal as much as I was or how I imagine a lot of listeners listen to the show is. So what is interesting about it is Barker, I think, out with Hellraiser, really hasn't had the perfect adaptation. Even when you look at Candyman, which is arguably the best adaptation in terms of quality, is not really beholden that much to the source material in that it's, you know, a perfect replica. It's changed, it's morphed, it's had interesting voices put their own stamp on it. I mean, if we go to almost true representation, something like Midnight Meat Train is very, very reminiscent of the short story, but still isn't quite there. I mean, you cast Vinnie Jones, Vinnie Jones looks nothing like the portrayal of the character in the book. So, you know, we, we, we change things, we adapt them for cinema because it's a different medium and audiences expect different things. So, we've never had it yet. But interestingly enough, I think Clive Barker, of all the kind of horror authors that came up in that ilk, is probably the hardest to adapt because his there is a perversion in his writing that I think is difficult to market to when you're working within the confines of a rating system. I mean, something like Rawhead Rex, which on paper is about a giant penis monster, doesn't really translate. And then people wonder why you get this kind of cockeyed, guar-looking monster. It's because in the pages, it's a giant dick that's running around with teeth and it's pisslet. So, I mean, sorry for being vulgar, but that's what it is. And you can't really do that, nor probably should you do that. And where would that have ever ended up? You know, it's interesting to look at these things through the prism of, well, too much studio interference or or too much uh, changes to the book. Sometimes you have to do it if you want to see it. So when I think about Cabal, which I think is a great, I mean, it really is a fucking great book and you can get through it in a day, easily, like in a a long afternoon, you can get through Cabal. You download an audiobook, there's a a fairly good audiobook out there on Audible that you'll get through in a day comfortably and it's it's some good listening and you, you can work your way through it quite comfortably. When you sit down and watch the movie, you have to appreciate it for what it is and... What is interesting to my point of view, which brings me back to this in reverence, is I was very much aware, even out with the situation of actually reading the book, that I sympathise with the monsters the first time I watched it. Even though the studio didn't want that to happen, those were the people I sympathised with. Because on the other hand, you have these horrible cops, all they want to do is murder people that are keeping themselves to themselves. Um, there's a weirdly libertarian sort of position in this movie, which is kind of funny when you think about it. The government, the, the government coming to, to take away your Midian, how dare they? But there's that aspect behind it, just leave them be. Just leave them be in the place that they're at. But what I loved about it even more is David Cronenberg, and this is before I really knew who David Cronenberg was as well, having seen his movies, but not knowing who the the director, how he looked, etc. As Dr. Decker, plays maybe one of my favourite on-screen villains of all time. The weird psychiatrist who is a serial killer and implants false memories through hypnosis 
in his his patient who's susceptible in a way to essentially get out of his crimes and start afresh anew again. And what I love about it is there's never really any strong indication whether or not Decker is doing this and has done it before. Decker's doing this in a way so he has got the murderate system and this is the perfect crime or whether he's doing this and he's just going to continue killing again just with maybe potentially a difference most operandi and pin it on someone else and I love that aspect the manipulation that Decker uses in the movie and the coldness and the calculated nature in which he delivers it makes him an incredible antagonist like one of the best on screen you give him that mask as well with the, the kind of off-centered button eyes and the, the zipped mouth that, you know, he has to literally open in order to speak to you. And it's fucking terrifying. A giant, huge bleed and a weird trench coat. And this kind of almost scarecrow-esque sack head on top is, is kind of awesome. It really, it really is. It stands out. And in that director's cut when you watch it, I think... What you get is, like, all the best bits of Decker that were cut out. Decker is a fucking great villain. And interestingly, when you hear about the way Barker had it set out, specifically for the way he was filming it, is Decker's there for sure, but I want to focus more on the monsters. And the studio was like, no, no, more Decker. We want a slasher movie with monsters. And, and Decker has to be in it in order to have that. We need him there as that character doing what he does in order to have the payoff to get the, the audiences, the horror fans, interested. Well, the movie really works for me and really kind of sold me as an experience was the creature design, I think, is absolutely incredible. The attention to detail of Clive Barker's imagination on the screen when you actually really start to see fully formed, realised characters and monsters, all of them have their own individual, like, very unique look and different abilities and great lines in the movie and the way they act and some of the special effects hold up quite well some of them not so much even with that high death kind of shatters them a bit more but you've got these incredible monster designs these creature designs are awesome and it's a world I wanted to live in and I'd always been a fan of kind of creature feature stuff you couldn't not be if you grew up watching things like Universal Monsters, and then in the 80s, for sure, there was, there was creatures galore all over the place in the 80s. But Nightbreed was the first one that had created like a world of of monsters that like created a, like a, a community that I would want to be part of, or I'd want to investigate and spend more time in, and built a world that I wanted to be part of. And when you look at how directors like Guillermo del Toro do it, specifically with a movie like Pan's Labyrinth, which I like in quite a lot, to Nightbreed, not kind of tonally, so to speak, but in this idea of building worlds of creatures and building them in such a lush, tactile way that you want to spend your, your, your time and you can maybe see yourself wanting to live there, live within the worlds that these amazing author directors create and as a result of that I think that was when really my pure love of monster design creature effects and that might sound weird to you you might be sitting there saying Duncan you saw things like you're of the age that you will have seen incredible 
transformations and creature designs all through the 80s, whether it's gnarly makeup effects on Freddy Krueger or whether it's awesome vampire effects on a movie like Near Dark, Lost Boys or Fright Night, you know, or the creature effects in things like Critters and Ghoulies and all manner of different stuff. The Thing... Yeah, and you're sitting there saying Nightbreed's the one, but I think Nightbreed is. I think Nightbreed was the one where they all are people clearly in makeup and costume, and just the attention, the seamless attention to create them was when I really started understanding that, yeah, I can watch American Werewolf in London and see that transformation, and back then I was like, oh, they really transformed that werewolf, but my brain couldn't fathom the technical aspect that would go behind creating that. It was just movie magic. When I watched Nightbreed, I started to question, how do you do that? How do, how do you how do you create this weird dreadlock creature? How do you create, like, a, a guy who has peeled the skin off his face and, the, like, the scalp off? How, how do you do that? How do you make it look so raw and visceral? And it's the movie that I really pinned down as a Rosetta Stone for my interest in that. It really, really is, I think... It's a movie that dares you to be part of that world. It's a movie that understands its its fandom, its fan base, and tells you that it is okay to be different. It's okay to like things different because when you find that community, and you could argue the horror community is like Midian, we are where the, the monsters live. And our interest, our love of that, allows us to bond together even as outsiders like the internet facebook and and podcast and all the rest has opened me up to a rich world of friendship all over the world with people that have similar interests you might not be in exactly the same horror movies that i'm into or might not even rate them as high as i do but we all connect over that one aspect of our mutual love of horror and this movie has that this movie is at its core uh, uh, an idea of of friendship, of family, of meaning. And that's what it did for me. It gave me an appreciation for creature effects. It gave me an appreciation for for monsters and cinema, that kind of that taking that different different view on things. And it also made me think about that idea of bullying, of persecution and all the rest and put it out in this really cool little package. And it really stuck with me. I mean, there's so many things that I think the movie does well. I think the, for the most part, the effects are, are really well done. Even the creature effects that don't hold up all that well nowadays. I think the story, even its bastardised, butchered version that you get for the, the main theatrical release is still a really satisfying movie to watch, for sure. And, you know, it ends in such a way that, you know, it, it's kind of aiming towards a sequel you never get. And the alternative ending that you get on that director's cut definitely feels more finite, definitely feels more like the door has been closed. But even then, it's horror, and when a door's closed, technically you can open it if you want. There is no permanent closed door in horror. You'll have to look at any franchise to see that for sure. I mean, Hellraiser, fuck's sake, is what, nine, ten movies in? And there's no sign that that door will ever be shut. So you've got that level as well. It's a, it's a really good movie with a, a great score that I sometimes think people don't talk about. is how 
kind of great and powerful the score tonight breed is and how quick things move i mean this movie understands within five minutes you need to be heading to midian or gtfo and it does that it, it cuts out a lot of the the chaff that you have but even then in the novel you don't spend that much time before you're in midian like i said it's not a huge book so it translates all that well it's a turning point for me because when i saw this movie it made me really kind of think about the end of the the 90s because very soon after seeing movies like Nightbreed I was starting to watch movies like Misery, Silence of the Lambs which I was entirely far too young to watch but I was also watching Video Nasties at that point you know by age 13 I'd already seen Last House on the Left you know so I I was already kind of changed as a viewer and I think that's quite interesting that that movie somehow is the closing part of my youth and birth into kind of adult horror viewing, even though I'd seen things like Nightbreed, which, um, like Hellraiser, for example, which was definitely leading on that way. So it's a pivotal moment for me. It really does kind of, it's an important movie for me. It's why I rate it so highly, and sometimes I think people wonder why I rate it so highly, is it gives me an appreciation for monsters and creature effects. It made me feel part of a community in a weird way, like, that other people felt that way too, and I've heard and spoke to other people that felt that way, is kind of awesome. But also, this movie, along with a movie like Cemetery Man, which I saw years later, are really kind of the, the kind of death, the death nails of the, of the, the kind of 80s quirky creature monster movies. You get some, but you don't get many, and these are the, the, the big ones that, that put a finer point on it. And I dare say there will be an irreverence down the road on Cemetery Man, which I think is a movie that is kind of fucking amazing. So, yeah, that's all I really have to say about it. I think, go back and listen to the Baz talk about the movie if you're watching the full synopsis. I, that's not what we're doing in reverence. We just kind of touch on the, 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 the points that make the movie kind of great. But what my question to you is, dear listeners, is Nightbreed to you. Is it a movie you caught about that time and did it stick with you? Did it imprint? Does it have that nostalgia for you? Or did you catch it later? And does it hold up if you catch it later? Is it a movie that you catch later that just doesn't really work? Can you see between the seams? Does the the fact that there are so many alternative cuts, and like I say, couldn't give a fuck about the Cabal cut. I don't want to see a three hour cut of Nightbreed. I don't want to see that. The director's cut is fine. I like that. I like the theatrical cut. That's fine. Keep it that way. Three hours too much for a movie like this. But let me know what you think. That's the interesting thing. What do you guys think of Nightbreed? Did it hit you at that age? Did you feel the way I felt about it? Or do you feel the way I feel about it? Or did you outgrow it? Let me know. You know where we're doing that? Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast or do it in the Flick Chat app. Our join code is TPUTSCATS. I'm going to take a final break. When I come back, I'm closing out the show right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been In Reverence, episode number 18, looking at Clyde Barker's Nightbreed. Hopefully you enjoyed that. There will be, of course, new In Reverence episodes coming up in 2020. 
So keep your eyes peeled for that. There's a multitude of ways to check out podcasts under the stairs. As always, I say come across and check us out on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the feed and leave us a rating and a review. It's the best way to support us on that platform. But you can also check us out on Stitcher, Smart Radio, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn and Spotify. You can also subscribe to the Tea Putts Collective where you get Doing the Nasty, Opera Omnia, Chronicle. Oh, such such lovely shows over there and many more on their way. Over 40 plus episodes on that feed. It's a separate feed but you can get at all the places I mentioned before. Just search Tea Putts Collective. Couldn't be any easier. If you can't find it, then jump to the website, tputzcast.com. That is the collective's website with all the shows there. You can jump through the different pages and find what you need to find. You can, though, also buy merch which supports the show. We have very few posters left and even less pins now. And to buy them is tputzcast.bigcartel.com. That money comes back and supports what we do under the stairs. You can check us out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast, which is the podcast under the stairs Facebook group page, where listeners that listen to the show and love horror interact. You can do that as well. Alternatively, if you want to join the Teaputz Collective Facebook page, which is more just posting the shows where you can find them and occasionally live streaming for Thursday Thursday, that's facebook.com forward slash tputzcast. You can interact with myself and the bands on the twin prongs of social media sexiness, Instagram and Twitter, both can be followed at TeaputsCast and join us on the Flick Chat app. It's free and available on Android and iOS. Our join code is TeaputsCast. Could be any easier. The podcast under the stairs will return on Wednesday with a bonus review of The Turning. And remember, subscribe to Teapots Collective feed this Friday. We return with Chronicle, the second episode of Season 3, looking at Witchfinder General. But until then, wherever you are, where the time zone is, and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan Cleese broadcasting live from Under the Stairs, and I am signing off. <laughs>